Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton. Thank you, Suzanne. It's my great honor to welcome to the program a man whom Zig Ziglar described as, quote, the best speaker I have ever seen, unquote. He humbly describes himself as a professional noticer. He's also a best-selling author, and today we'll be discussing his brand new book, Just Jones. He's a true inspiration, Mr. Andy Andrews. How are you, Andy? Good, Clay. How are you, man? Very well, sir. Thank you so much. Well, honored, honored to be here with you. Well, thank you. I want to start with the most important question. You were in the direct hit zone of Hurricane Sally. So how are you and your loved ones and your neighbors on the Gulf Coast? And how is the recovery going? You know, we're we're good. It was uh, it, it still looks really brutal around here. It's it, it's going along as as good as it possibly can. You know, I think. One one of the issues for all of us here is that we were hit by Hurricane Ivan a number of years ago. And so I was talking to the city manager the other day, and and he said, oh, man, I'm not sure I have the uh, emotional strength to do this again. I said, yeah, I know what you're talking about. And he said, yeah, people keep saying, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? He said, problem is you got to be hungry. And I already ate an elephant and I don't have a taste for it anymore. <laughs> that is, that is a great analogy. So it's, it's, uh, but it's going along as, as well as it can be expected. You just wouldn't think there was that much stuff loose, right? You know, driving down the road sometimes just right now, it's like driving through a tunnel because of all the stuff piled up on both sides of the road. Yeah, I went through Opal when she came through there years ago, but she was much different. She didn't linger. She was moving right along, Uh, remained a tropical storm even into Tennessee. She was moving so fast. So it was worse for you guys. Yeah, this one did. It just, uh, you know, it was 105 mile an hour sustained winds with gusts to 120. But the problem was, it was only moving two miles an hour. And so these winds were just for hours and hours and hours and hours. And, and uh, where, whereas most full blown hurricanes will knock down trees, but this, this took a lot of trees and it took big oak trees and entire pecan orchards. It's just, just nuts. Well, I really enjoyed your two visits to our little town, Paducah, Kentucky. Uh, You spoke, to our Rotary Club once, and then again, right. you, you gave, uh, yeah, you were invited by your buddy, Jamie Futrell, who, by the way, is the station manager for Bristol Broadcasting, on which this show is being broadcast, so thank you, Jamie Futrell. Yeah, man, he, he is a great guy, great friend, and I had, I had a great time up in Paducah, too. And you also uh, graced us at the Meyer Series there at the Carson Center, and uh, right. enjoyed that a lot. I also enjoyed reading Just Jones, and thanks for the advanced copy of that. Um, I'm really grateful for the opportunity today to discuss this with you. And so what I thought I might do is to give people a flavor for what they're in store for with this book, but without revealing anything of the really uh, interesting story, I thought I might quote some words of wisdom from Jones. Yeah, yeah. And 
ask you, Andy Andrews, to reflect on those and give us maybe an anecdote of what that means to you as the okay. minister. Okay. So the first one, Jones says, you can't believe everything you think. You know, he said that to me the first time years and years ago. You know, I was 19 when my parents died. My mom died of cancer. My dad was killed in a car accident. And the same year, so this is a crazy time. And I made some bad moves and ended up literally homeless. I ended up living under a state pier, under a pier here on the Gulf Coast. And that's where I met this old man. That's where I met Jones. And he uh, would talk to me in ways that that uh, required a lot of thought, which was different from anybody else that I ever encountered, really. And and that was one of the things that he said. I had, I, I can't even remember now what it was that I had told him that I was so certain about. And he said, "Well, remember, you know, you can't believe everything you think." And and it sounded odd to me, and it kind of blew past me uh, at the moment. But I've thought about that now for literally three decades. And and what I understand that it means is one of the most important piece of, pieces of advice I've ever received. Um, I, I guess the best way to explain it, Clay, is, is have you ever known something? I mean, you knew it and you knew it for sure and you could argue it. And it was wrong. And you found out later, well, that wasn't exactly correct. Or, you know, my information was incomplete. And of course, and we've all done that. Okay, so if we've done that, does the possibility exist that something that we know for sure now, our information might be incomplete? And, and, And people would say, well, of course, that's a possibility. Right. But my point is, we don't really know what subject that uh, includes or how many subjects that includes. And and so because the world is changing, because things change, uh, you know, knowledge, information changes, wisdom is gathered. And as wisdom is gathered, things change. There, you know, rules change, boundaries change. And so just, to stay, as Jones would say, to stay with the same thing that you knew years ago, with the rules that you set years ago, is, you know, is not wise. You know, there there's a time in your life that, uh, you know, don't talk to strangers was a great rule. That was a perfectly appropriate rule. But there comes a time that, you know, wisdom should make that rule obsolete in your life. And so, it's a constant and never-ending search for wisdom and understanding. Yes, I've heard it expressed uh, another way that I also like, a corollary, if you, if you like. Yeah, tell no- me. Knowledge isn't truth. It's just mindless agreement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just because something's true doesn't mean it's the truth. You know, yes, things sir. can be true and not the truth. And, and I, I've always felt like, you know, that it's not necessarily uh, the things you don't know that cause you a lot of trouble. It's these things that you know for sure that'll cause you a lot of trouble. Yes, sir. Well, as a corollary of that, then Jones also says, to find the best, one has to search for the truth. And I mean, capital T truth. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, the both are, both are the same in one way because both are one thing, you know, the best, that's one thing. If you, you and I agree, we want the best for our children uh, even though we may politically disagree, we may disagree about, you know, the favorite things of this or that. But if we say, okay, we do agree we want the best for our children. Well, we need to understand that the best is one thing. It, it's, you know, there can be different categories, but we're not talking about the best of the decade or some of the best or among the best. We're talking about the best. Well, the best even though they can be different categories, the best is one thing. It's like the truth. That's one thing. There can be some different categories, but it's one thing. Now, it, it, one thing that's curious that Jones pointed out to me is that you can know the truth and just kind of sit around and not do anything with it. And you, you can know the truth and never accomplish the best, but you can never accomplish the best without knowing the truth that is that is thought-provoking well he also uh, expanded on the idea and talking about little t truth when a society allows its feelings to determine its little t truth trouble is on the immediate horizon yeah yeah because there's uh you know, feelings seem so important to people, and yet there's, you know, it, it, it's an odd thing to say, but he told me this one time, and I, I, I thought a lot about this. He said, he said you know, uh, nothing really great uh, has ever happened because of your feelings. He said, you know, he said, and in fact, nobody really cares how you feel. They may say they do, but nobody really cares how you feel. They only care how you act. They only care what you do. You know, you've never heard a teacher say, well, you know, I was, you, you earned a C in this class, but I knew it would hurt your feelings, so I gave you an A. Parents don't say, well, I would punish you, but it would hurt your feelings. It, it, it has to do with how we act. You know, n- n- there's no, no uh, football coach in America that ever says, uh, hey, we're going to let so-and-so start at quarterback because it'll make him feel so good. It, you know, that's just not what life is about. And when we make life about our feelings then there is trouble on the immediate horizon because you you are living and following something that that is uh, transient, that is uh, uh, not real, and and so rather than uh, r- rather than following feelings, you know, the behavior is truth. Behavior, you know, the way we act, the way we actually treat each other, and so yeah, I think I think he's right that that when feelings become the greatest part of society, troubles troubles on the horizon. These next couple of uh, statements from Jones that you quote in the book sound more to me like colloquialisms, and there's got to be a whole lot of great 
story behind them, but I'm curious to understand them from your perspective. Okay. The first one, uh, during times of hot water, be coffee. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a great illustration about what happens, you know, how we choose to react to tough situations. And, you know, hot water is a, is a euphemism for trouble, right? You know, we've heard, well, he's in hot water. Well, you know, it looked like they're fixing to be a little hot water there. And, and so, you know, Joan said, you know, hot water, th things react differently to hot water and people react differently to hot water. And, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be a carrot in hot water because a, a carrot just turns into mush, right? You know, you expose it to hot water long enough, it just turns into mush. You, you don't want to be an egg because an egg gets hard and then eventually it just turns cold. And so, so that is a reaction to hot water. But he said, what you really want to be is coffee because coffee finds its purpose in hot water. Coffee fundamentally changes the situation. It fundamentally changes the water. Coffee's purpose is not even, not, not even revealed until it experiences hot water. And his point was that that, that is true of us. You know, we, we tend to want to, to look away from uh, uh, the hard things of life. We tend to want to, to go the easy road or just to float downstream. And yet, you know, you build muscle in a gym by purposely, you know, purposely making yourself hurt. You, know, you purposely, you go into the gym, you build muscle by making yourself, by disciplining yourself to put yourself in a situation that doesn't feel great. And, and so to, to, to experience hot water in our lives and not run from it, but to embrace it and learn from it. That's what he meant. That's what he meant is that, you know, be coffee, be coffee, find your purpose during those times. This next one from Jones, I confess, I, I don't think I understand it correctly, but I'm really eager to understand it. He said, it's impossible to sink half a boat. That is, you know when he's when when uh, when he said that he was talking about employee employer relationships. You know when you're looking at, uh, at at situations with with companies or with associations with charitable organizations, anytime you work with a group of people, if it's a team. There are always, there has to be leadership. There's, you know, there's either a leader or a group of leaders or a boss. And, and then there are team members or followers or uh, volunteers or, uh, or employees. But, but the thing that happens many times is they get crossways. 
you know, they they do. They just get crossways and they, you know, the the bosses start to look at the employees and go, you know, these people, I don't know what their problem is. And then, of course, the employees start looking at the bosses and going, they're taking advantage of us. I can't believe that. But in reality, they're all on one payroll. You know, every situation, every job it only it only has one payroll, and everybody is a part of that payroll. And so the bosses can't say, you know, we're just going to do without these employees. You know, we're we're just going to do without them. We're, we'll 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 make more money if we just do without them. And the employees can't say, you know what? We don't need these guys. We don't need these bosses. We don't need these people that you know have made the deals. We don't need these people that are that that are you know making these decisions that are dealing with the shareholders that are investing their money. We don't need these owners. What do we need these owners for? You can't say that. Everybody is on one payroll, and everybody on one payroll is in one boat. And that's where he came to the point where he said, it has been proven that it's impossible to sink half a boat. <laughs> you can't do without a group of these people. It takes the the entire team. You know, Nick Saban never won a national championship by himself. And, you know, trust me, I've been around these guys. And without Coach Saban, um, you know, they wouldn't be winning a lot of games. That's very gracious of you to mention that little trade school to the West because I know you're all about War Eagle. But uh, actually, actually, you know, I went to Auburn because of the veterinary school, but I was always an Alabama fan. You know, I, oh my I, goodness. I just, I, you know, the only reason I went to Auburn was because of the vet school. I, I actually wanted to be a vet, veterinarian and a taxidermist so I could say either way you get the dog back, you know, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> You are so wrong, Andy Andrews. <laughs> well, now you're up there in Kentucky, man. You're not an Auburn fan, are you? Not at all. In fact, they just uh, beat up on my Wildcats. But uh, anyway. You, you uh, just are, are you just not liking Alabama because you just don't like somebody that wins that much? Is that what it is? I have great respect for Alabama. In fact, uh, on this program a few weeks ago, I had the honor to talk to Wayne Atchison, who wrote sure. the book on Alabama Crimson Tide uh, FCA, which I'm, I'm wearing their shirt today. It's uh, dear to me. So roll tide. You know, one of my, one of my uh, dearest friends uh, is from Kentucky. His name is Jason Crabb. And uh, do you know Jason? Okay. I've met him. He, he came to the Myers series as well. Right. Okay. Well, Jason, Jason's kind of like my little brother. And I always laugh Jason had this, uh, Jason's a singer and, um, and he had this one year that I just laughed and laughed. I just thought, Oh my gosh, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, he's from Kentucky. Okay. So he's a Kentucky Wildcats basketball fan. Absolutely. But he's smart enough to be an Alabama football fan. Now, right. Andy Andrews, we have a word for those kind of people. That's called a bandwagoner. Okay, but here's the thing. But here's the thing. 
I don't know how Jason became a uh, an Alabama football fan. Maybe it was his dad. I don't know. But here's what happened. One year, there was one year, so several years ago, Kentucky won the national championship in basketball. Alabama won the national championship in football. And Jason won a Grammy. And I thought, man, this is your year. That's a good year. Well, we did have a, a connection with uh, Tide football. We had the Bear Bryant coached at Kentucky first. Yep, uh, that's exactly right. That's that's why. See now, see Clay. That's why he was good at Alabama. He learned it all in Kentucky. There that, you go. That, that's right. You're welcome. <laughs> well, this is so much fun, Andy Andrews, and you're so generous with your time. We're going to continue this discussion on the next episode of Core Principles. In the meantime, listeners, please go to andyandrews.com and sign up for his email list. It's non-intrusive and never sold, but you will receive occasional messages I guarantee will bless you. And also pick up a copy of his awesome book, Just Jones. It's available in print or on e-reader or as an audiobook. Tune in to our next episode for the conclusion of this discussion. Now it's time for our special historical segment, featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied. On the 6th of October, 1683, the first Mennonite settlers from Germany arrived in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The Frankfurt Land Company had purchased 15,000 acres of land in Pennsylvania, and William Penn invited the new settlers there. The leader of this group of settlers was Francis Daniel Pastorius, who had studied extensively at the most prestigious institutions and earned a doctorate of law at Nuremberg. Pastorius was so well respected for his intellect and his attendant Christian faith, he became known as the most learned man in the entire New World. He was an avid gardener, writer, and poet. He penned at least 43 manuscripts. Among his writings was his 1688 essay, Decrying the Evils of Slavery. Did you catch that? People have been told lately, outrageously and incorrectly, that this country began as some sort of slaveocracy in the mid-1600s. But in fact, as early as the second half of that century, and without ceasing, it was Christians in this country who advocated for the abolishment of that centuries-old practice. Indeed, the fledgling United States would later become the first nation in the history of the world to ban the slave trade. That happened in 1807. In 1833, William Wilberforce led England to become the first nation ever to completely ban slavery itself, and the United States was fourth to do so in 1865. From the biblical letter of 1 Peter, chapter 2, we read these core principles. Submit yourself, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, 
but use it as bond slaves of God. Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit core.buzzsprout.com for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.